that video and this is the last week that we get to hear it because next week we go right into a brand new series of which I'm excited about that as well. I don't think there's anything that we could talk about during 21 days of prayer that would be quite as powerful and quite as it's life-changing to understand how God works in us and how God speaks to us and how God helps us when we need help and so that's really what the whole series for the Holy Spirit is about. God has wanted to do life with us and do life with you. And if, I will say this, if you feel like you don't feel the presence of God in your life, I'm telling you this, that the presence of the Holy Spirit is, is ready to, to do life with us. And a lot of times we just, we don't, we, we don't understand it. So it's just like, uh, I don't know about that. So let me encourage you to jump in and just the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I just want to encourage you, check it out. This week, though, we're, gonna, we're going to complete and finalize this series called The Good Work. How many of you guys have been getting anything out of this series? This has, been, this has been really good for me. And just, just knowing that God has, has been leading us to give our lives to work and to serve and to to see other people's lives change, that's huge. And learning through Nehemiah has been just really incredible. So I want to say welcome to everybody. Welcome to all of you guys. I know this is like, it feels like the very end of the summer almost because my kids have to go back to school this week uh, with preschool stuff and uh, meetings and they have to be at the school. So they haven't started school yet, but as far as Jake is concerned, he's like, summer's over. So... <laughs> well, it's like they have to go back to work. So actually, I'm excited about that too. So uh, happy for them to go back to school. Happy for them to get re-engaged. And uh, it's, it's good stuff. So let's pick up where we left off. As you have, has, If you've been here for the last few weeks, then you know that this series is not like four different topics. This series is kind of a we pick up where we left off last week. And so we are three weeks in, and I'm going to give you a quick review to kind of tell you where we're at. But we've been watching Nehemiah. Uh, he's the guy who says, you know what, I can't not do something. He sees a problem. He sees something that truly breaks his heart. And so he has, he decides in himself, I can't leave this to someone else to do it. He finds out that, that even though he's the cupbearer for the king as, as a captive in another land, a thousand miles away from his homeland, of which he, he may never have even visited, he hears that his his homeland is still in rubble. It's the, the walls are broken down in Jerusalem. The gates are burned with fire. There's nothing there. And yet there are a remnant of people, about 50,000 people, have come together 140 years after the Babylonians came through and destroyed everything and took them as slaves. And people have started making their way back to their homeland. And listen, there's much more... Uh, there's much more to that idea than that they just started making their way back to a city that was burnt down. It's like God gave his people a promise. And for 140 years, that promise was like laying on the ground, burned and broken and destroyed and nothing to see here. And so in their hearts, it's almost like the legacy of their people was gone. I think many of us have been in that place. Like, God, I I thought you cared about me. I thought you had, I've, all I've heard about is that you have a plan for my life and that you, you have a design for me. Where's that? 
And so it's easy to look at the broken down pieces that for 140 years, in which most of, none of them had ever seen Jerusalem at, in life. All they had seen was maybe their grandparents or parents telling the stories of where we used to be. And so that's really what they picked up when they began to put brick on top of brick and rebuild those walls and rebuild the gates. They said, we want to see God's promise and his destiny and his dreams for us as a people come back to life. So he asks the king that he's working for, not only if he can have permission to go, but if he'll give him provision, like timbers to rebuild the gates. And if he'll give him notes and letters of permission and safety to get there a thousand miles away. And all of that works. It's amazing that God gave him favor. And I'll tell you this, I'll remind you, because we're going to get into it in, in, in just a little bit, that he prays for four months after he hears that Jerusalem is in rubble and in, it's just destroyed and that there are people there and that they can't do anything. He decides, I've got to do something, but he prays and fasts for four months before he even mentions it to anyone. For four months, sometimes. And there's a whole message there. In fact, I think that as much as this is a message about do something and about Nehemiah saying, hey, I have to do something, it's also a message about prayer. It's a message saying that four months of prayer before I ever act, I need to know that I know that I know that God has my back and that I'm right where he wants me to be because when you're in God's plan, you could fight the rest of your life to make things work, but a moment in the presence of God fixes everything. If you, can, if you can work to position yourself to be right where God is and right where he's at, our, our thoughts on prayer usually are, God, if you could just get with my position. God, here's my position. I need you right here. Most of prayer really is me saying, God, where do you want me? Where do you need me? Where are you at, God? Because if I can sync myself up with his will, his perfect will, his designs, I want you to think about that as we go into 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer is not us for 21 days petitioning God. God, we need this. God, we need this. God, we need this. No, 21 days of prayer. And if you're one of those that will be fasting something, we're not corporately fasting, but there are those of us who will be giving up something so that we can more focus ourselves, clear our minds so that we can get everything else out of the way so we can hear what God wants to say, see what God wants us to see, and be where God wants us to be. That's what prayer is. So that's what Nehemiah does, and then they start to make progress. He finally goes there. He, he incites the people and gets everyone excited about, hey, we can do this. They start working, and as the progress, well, this is really week two. We talked about how when the work goes up, when the work gets started, then opposition comes. Like the moment you decide to do something for God or clean up your life or start going to church or get your marriage back in line or get, your, get this relationship fixed, the enemy wakes up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. They're trying to take back territory. Let's go stop them. And so opposition comes. That was last week. And this week I want to talk about something else that happens that's not quite as obvious. It's like when, when the opposition comes, a lot of times we turn around and say, man, why is everything going wrong right now? I try to do the right thing, and then everything seems to go down the toilet. That's that opposition. Once we recognize that mechanism, it's easy to recognize it. It's easy to acknowledge it and say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's going on here. But there's something else that happens that this is where it gets a little more tricky because you don't always see this one coming. 
In fact, we almost never see this one coming. But Nehemiah sees it coming. And so his enemies, and we read about Sambalat and Tobiah, and these are the two guys that they're mocking him, they're, they're insulting him, they're, they're trying to, they, they are trying to incite him to, to, to make him stop working. But he doesn't stop working, he just keeps working, and it kind of makes them upset. And so here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes, otherwise you can download the notes. If you didn't get them on the way in, but write this down. If your enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. That distraction, listen, the opposition is, is usually, it could be head on. It could be right in your face. I'm going to stop you every day. I'm just going to put up roadblocks. And he tries to stop us. The distraction, though, usually doesn't come from head on. <laughs> it comes from somewhere else. It's almost like the sleight of hand of the magician where he, he's doing something over here, but he says, hey, look over here. And that's really what Sambalat and Tobias, and we, we, we meet a new person in the story this week called Geshem, and they get together, and they come up with another strategy on how do we stop Nehemiah because he's building. He's not waiting for, any, he's not waiting for anyone to help him. He's just going. So this message is, I think, finds us, especially at Relate, and, and many of you, since there are so many new people at Relate, there are so many, not just new walks of faith, but new decisions to follow God, new uh, recommitments to God, recommitments to ministry, like, hey, I may have had this going on in my life, but I am committed, like many of you have said, I'm committed to pick up this cause or this call to faith and this call to work for God. And to advance the kingdom of God, because I don't know about you, and I've tr I, I, I want to scream it from the mountaintops, but I believe that we have limited amount of time. I believe that the, the amount of time that we have to reach people, that every day there are people dying. Every day there are people hurting. There are people walking around in darkness. Every day there are people who their life is going down the toilet. They're giving up on life, and we have an opportunity to do something about it. And it, it breaks my heart that we have to do something. Let's get together and continue to, to, to not just keep it going, but let's make it bigger. Let's, let's reach more people. Let's let the, the, the outreach of this place and what we're doing impact more people, save more people. Turn people around that are walking toward hell and point them toward heaven. So that, this is where Nehemiah is. So I, I want you to know that the, today's message is part four, but it's called Shut the Door to Distractions because we have to not only recognize them, but start to shut them down when distractions come from the things that God has for us. Probably uh, the best story I can tell you just to, in the last, uh, not, too, not too long ago, my daughter Grace was, uh, uh, as I was pr preparing for this message, I remembered this particular thing that happened one day at a volleyball tournament and sometimes momentum in a volleyball game is everything right so it's just like a football game or a basketball game once one team starts to win it's hard for the other team to reverse that momentum and get back on top if they've stopped if they've started to lose and that was happening with Grace's team they started winning and they were like they couldn't be stopped they were winning point after point after point and all of a sudden, the team, I think, realized they could not oppose them, and Grace's team was going to win. But 
at some point, especially because they had a couple of girls on the team that once they got to serving right, they just couldn't return the ball. <laughs> so they couldn't stop them. And all of a sudden, someone in the crowd, one of the girls on the other, so not the other volleyball team, but the, one of their, uh, so they have like an A team, a B team, a junior, a junior varsity, varsity team. So one of the other teams for the other school was there. And one of the girls Right when they're going up for a serve, she starts making this sound at the top of the serve. The ball goes up, and then all of a sudden, there's like a goat sound, like, <laughs> right in the middle. And then she just flubs it, and that all of a sudden starts. Every time our girls start to serve, here comes the goat sound. <laughs> and everyone on our team is starting to get angry. Like, this is, this is not only bad sportsmanship. This is terrible. Someone get her out of here. It starts like, changes the whole game. But I'm telling you, that's a perfect picture of what happens when the enemy can't stop us. He knows that he can't stop us from putting points on the board. He knows he can't challenge that we are committed and we're doing it. So all of a sudden, here comes some weird sound here comes some weird off-the-wall thing that changes the game, starts making us mad, and we're out of the game now. Our mind is not in the game. We're not, we lose our momentum. And where are we? So this is what happens when Sambalat and Geshem decide, hey, we can't get him to stop working. We can't get Nehemiah and the rest of, the, the rest of Judah to stop working on the walls. They're building. They're not listening to us. And that's where we pick up the story. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, Geshem, the Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall. So last week they had built it halfway. They couldn't stop them from building it halfway. And so this is like last ditch effort. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem realized we couldn't stop them from building the walls, but they don't have the gates in yet. We still have a chance to stop them. Found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So there was still a weakness to exploit. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. So you write this down. Your first point, first key to this message is never meet your enemy at a place called Ono. <laughs> <laughs> that, one was, that one was for free. We're not going to talk about that, though. So <laughs> they send this sleight of hand, hey, could you just come and have a meeting with us? So th this whole time they've been insulting them, like, what are you going to do, rebuild the gates? <laughs> okay, I guess they are going to rebuild the gates. Let's try to stop them. Let's ask him to come meet with us. So they really, of course it's obvious they want to trick him, they want to capture him, and Nehemiah keeps working. But there is this thought that a lot of times our enemy will give us an opportunity to maybe defend ourselves. They've been insulting him. They've been, maybe Nehemiah thinks that, hey, if I go meet with these guys, maybe I can convert them over to my way of thinking. Maybe I can make friends with them. Maybe, but that's not what happens. I personally, I, I hate the idea of someone being uh, like upset with me or at odds with me. I always want to fix it. I'm always thinking through the process, okay, how do we fix this problem? But there are times in life where you just can't fix the problem, that you can't change someone else's mind. You just have to keep working. You have to continue going. 
And so what we call an opportunity to fix a problem or to, hey, go meet with my enemy, God often calls it a distraction because many times we just got to keep working. We got to keep going. He's so close to finishing if he stops now and says, hey, guys, I'll be right back. Who knows what could happen? It's never been easier in our lives in 2019 on the edge of uh, so many advances in technology and science and social media and all of the things that are happening around the world. I'm telling you that we live in a world where it's never been easier to be distracted. I talked about this a little bit last week. If you're one of those uh, studiers that opens up your Bible and you want to read your Bible on your phone or your tablet and you also have text messages and emails and Facebook and Instagram, the moment you open your Bible app, bing, <laughs> and then something else pops up on the screen that you have to, hey, I got I to gotta take care of it. Or your phone rings and, oh, I got to go deal with this. You know, there are moments in your walk of faith where you just need to say, hey, the doors are closed. Nothing else, this is my time with God. I'm not going to do anything else with this. I'm not going to answer the phone. I don't care. Listen, if you're so if your life is so desperate, desperately on the edge that it could go south at any time, that you can't take 10 minutes and commit 10 minutes to, I'm just going to spend time with God for 10 minutes and I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm going to shut the door and the kids can just bang on the door and stick their hands under the door. <laughs> Maybe it's when you go into the bathroom and say, kids, don't bother me when I go in the bathroom. You know they're still going to stick their eye and you're, they're still going to be looking around under the bottom of the door. <laughs> but guys we need God and we need to focus our time and set aside that, that space where we can focus in on what God wants us to do that's what 21 days of prayer is that's saying listen I, I pray all year long this is not 21, dear, 21 days of prayer is, it's not the time that we only time that we pray but it's a time where we say okay I'm going to push in extra hard and I'm going to lean in. Would you just say that out loud? Would you just say, lean in? That's more like a, a, a spiritual uh, position where we just need to lean in to God. Some of us have been sitting back and waiting. Okay, God, or do you want me over here? Or you, you, where, do you, where do you want me, God? Sometimes with God, you just have to lean in. You just have to press in. So his enemies ask Nehemiah, hey, just come meet with us. And Nehemiah rejects him. He keeps building the wall. If you won't say no to some things, you can't do well at the God things. Like There's things that God has planned for you and prepared for you. And if, if you always say yes, if you're, if, you, if you're never able to say, no, I can't do that. So <laughs> the things that God wants are just left Waiting and wanting. So let me help you understand how to say no. Okay, this is real simple. So just do it just like this. You ready? No. <laughs> Some of us have a hard time saying that. So just practice it one time. Ready? One, two, three. No. No. I'm not gonna. You, if your head's not moving, you're not doing it right. You just have to. Nope. <laughs> it's that's a complete sentence right there. No. And if you're one of those people like me that doesn't like to upset people, <laughs> it's hard to say no because people don't want to hear no. 
In fact, some people come to us and really, no's not, a, no's not even an option. <laughs> but you have to make it an option if you're going to fulfill the things that God has destined for you to do. Jesus said no to a lot of people. In fact, we like to read about how Jesus healed this one or that one, but a lot of times Jesus walked past people who were hurting. He didn't heal everybody. In fact, whenever the disciples and it was common to go into a city and the people who needed help were around the gates and there's often stories we read where they were at the city gate and healed one. God has prepared and made a way for things to happen and sometimes the faith and the atmosphere is just right, but maybe not for everybody. That's why we say sometimes that, that miracles aren't always fair. The kingdom of God's not always fair. But God, God loves us, and he's walking through it, and he always gives us everything that we need. But Jesus doesn't always say yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes we ask for something, and he says no, not right now. So we say no because we care, because we want to be right where we need to be. If you're always available to everyone, eventually you have nothing to give to anyone. Jesus had to leave the disciples. Sometimes I think the disciples wanted to be with Jesus all the time. But Jesus, sometimes he had to depart. He had to go away from them for a little while to go spend time with God. And yet we feel like we have to give, 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 and we never refill. You got to refill. And so four times, Sambalat and Geshem send Nehemiah the same message. They send him a letter, sealed, here goes your uh, invitation. Come and meet with us. We want to talk. We want to fix this. We want to solve some problems. Come, let's talk it out. And Nehemiah, every single time, he doesn't stop building, keeps working, and he ignores their letters. And so the fifth time, in verse 5, the fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter. So this is, this is something totally different. This is not a letter that's sealed from a king that comes to another leader of a group of people. This is an open letter that is just a roll. That, that'd be like me giving my son a letter and say, hey, can you take this to so-and-so? At some point, and I trust my son, at some point, if that letter's not sealed, he might open it and read it. But that's exactly what Sambalot was hoping would happen when he sends this open letter with the servant to go across the country go into an enemy camp and give them a letter. He's hoping that the messenger will not only read it, but the messenger is likely to share it and tell everyone that he comes across, hey, I got this letter, but you know what it says? <laughs> How much is it worth to you? I'll tell you what it says. But the contents of the letter are as damaging, more damaging, he thinks, if it's not sealed. And the, the contents say this, and Geshem tells me it is true Wait, wait, wait. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations. The open letter says there's a rumor among the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that, and that is why you are building the wall. An accusation. First off, an open letter would let everybody know, hey, there are other kings that are upset with what we're doing. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. So he's trying to sow the seed of discord into these people by writing an open letter, hoping everybody reads it. By the time it gets to Nehemiah, he's hoping that now everybody in the court and everybody is thinking, oh, Nehemiah is trying to be king. And that anything can, that can be upset will be upset. And that he's, he's sowing discord into the, seed, into, the, into the camp of his enemy, which is Nehemiah doing God's work. 
I want you to know this, that your enemy, he doesn't come at, usually doesn't, if he, if he can't stop us head on. And once we've decided to serve God and start going to church and give ourselves to the work of God, most times we can't be turned around through the, the force of, I will stop you. But what happens whenever discord starts and all of a sudden everybody in, our, everybody in our home is upset, there's strife and everybody's fighting and nobody wants to go to church and we can't get a conversation about God and full of faith and all of a sudden the, the momentum we had going in the right direction is all lost. You'll never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. But here's the deal. I want you to know, everybody just stop right here. God has big things for you to do. We use this word called, like God's called us, God's called me to be a pastor. He, essentially what that means is that he picked me. He chose me. God chose you. And you need to know that this is not some random message just out to everybody. God chose you. God chose you. It's like picking teams on a sport whenever I was younger. I didn't always get picked first. I didn't want to be picked last. The good thing is that God, he chooses us. He has great... He, he, he doesn't pick the superstar or the person that can sing the best or the person that can act the best or perform the best or is the best athlete or is the superstar. God picks people like Nehemiah who were just normal people. Nehemiah wasn't a superstar. Nehemiah wasn't even a builder. Nehemiah didn't have any experience building. All he had was experience tasting the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That was his job. And God chooses normal people to, in fact, I think that's one of the biggest miracles in the whole process, that God didn't just put together different resources that fit together. God didn't just line up all, all the things in the right order. God takes someone who's totally incapable and who has no experience to do something, and he makes something happen through them because they're willing to say yes. And the same thing happens in us. If we'll set out in this walk of faith to follow God, to serve God, to do a good work for God, he gets behind us and he's like the wind in our sails. Don't let someone else's opinion of you disrupt God's calling in you. About 10 years, well, maybe about 15 12 years ago, <laughs> when the kids were younger, I, I'm trying to remember, I was trying this week to remember exactly when it was, but we, I had saved up a little bit of money. It was about probably $3,000. That was a ton of money for us whenever we were uh, recently married, and I bought a 1981 Winnebago, which turned out to be a big mistake. <laughs> well, it wasn't a big mistake. What it was was it wasn't at all what I expected it to be. I thought, yeah, we'll go camping. We'll just hop in and go camping. Listen, I had to spend like three weekends in a row trying to get everything working every time we took it on the road. It was hours and hours of heartache, but it was my heartache, and I loved it. <laughs> and we would go out on the road <laughs> and go camping. The farthest we ever went was Austin because it only got up to about 55 miles an hour. It's okay, though. <laughs> it was blazing hot. Anyway, I'm not gonna, I don't want to spend too much time on the Winnebago, but it was pretty bad. Got to a point where I just wanted to get rid of the thing. I was like, I can, with as much money as I spend to keep it running, I can just rent an RV every time. <laughs> and so, and so, 
I finally decided, okay, I'm going to sell it. But then this deal came up, and I, I, I knew someone that had an opportunity, right? And so there was a, if you know what a kit car is, I, so I could trade my 1981 Winnebago that ran most of the time for a kit car, which was a 1998 Lamborghini Diablo frame, <laughs> fiberglass body with the switchblade doors, and I loved it, but it was on a uh, 1985 Fiero body uh, <laughs> frame. <laughs> so if you've ever been in a Fiero, it had the frame stretched and fit. It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> really cool. But I had to put it, we were working on it, putting it together, but I had this dream that, man, the youth group is going to love this, and it's going to be a project, and we're all going to get involved, and it's gonna, we, could, we could go in parades, and the, how, many, how many people would just, it, it would be like a project car, right? It would bring the team together, and I love the idea of this thing. And then before long, which, by the way, the, my, at that point I was a youth pastor, and all of the, the teenagers loved it. It was amazing. But at some point I, I heard a rumor, you know what, the pastor has a Lamborghini. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my like great hopes and my like, this is going to be awesome, turned into, what? <laughs> you know what I had to do to get this car, right? <laughs> I had to sell my 1981 Winnebago. And believe me, I got the better deal. But it hurt my feelings really bad because all the things, all of my expectation and hopes and dreams of this particular project and building something with relationships, all of a sudden it was like under assault and it really distracted me from continuing down that line. It made me back up and say, you know what, I don't even know if this is worth it. Now I'm getting accused of something and this is not going where I thought it would go and I had to rethink, why am I doing this? But I think that same dynamic happens in, in so many different ways whenever we decide, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for God, I'm going to take a step of faith, I'm going to get baptized, I'm going to join a team, I'm going to go to growth track, I'm going to say a prayer of salvation, I'm going to bring so-and-so to church, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in, this is not what I wanted. What happened? And so we find ourselves in this place of distraction and we accredit it to the fact that, hey, this is just all by chance. Now everything's upset. It's not by chance. I'm telling you that there is an organized enemy that is working to, not to first off, oppose you. But if he can't oppose you, if he can't bring opposition to stop you, he'll just try to distract you. He is the author of confusion, right? He has so many mechanisms with which to create confusion in your life. So I can tell you this, that in my house, whenever, whenever everything is confusing and there's, if, if we can't have like a real, there's strife and no one can talk and then everything's just upset, I or, and or Angela and the kids, we all just stop and say, wait a second, wait, everybody just stop, let's pray. Because there's something going on that's more than just we happened to not be getting along. I don't take those things for granted. I don't over-spiritualize everything either. But I can tell you this, that when we stop everything and say, okay, let's pray, let's get back to, to the center of where we should be in this situation. We start 
casting out and sending the confusion in another direction. Just let's get all that confusion out of here. I don't mean like casting out demons. I mean like, ca- like we're not having the confusion in here. He's the author of confusion. He's the author of lies. And sometimes the, li- the, com- the lies cause confusion. Like, oh, what's going on here? I'm out. <laughs> but Nehemiah doesn't do that. And so watch what Nehemiah does. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. Instead of letting the, the, <laughs> the confusion and the, the distraction of the enemy work where the, dis- the enemy just says, hey, look over here. Look over here. Come meet with us. We're going to have a, a conversation and we're going to send letters to, di- to distract everyone. Nehemiah says, hey, that's all a lie. I'm going to keep working. <laughs> he doesn't let him stop it. it. He doesn't let him stop him for an instant. And he says, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continue the work with even greater determination. There are moments in our lives, pivotal moments, where the work has started. Sometimes it's just the momentum of excitement. You get excited about something. How many of you have ever been excited about something that God was doing or did or God spoke to you something and you just have this idea and you get all excited and then all of a sudden the next day or the next day all the air gets let out of your balloon. And you go from being this excited little kid at a birthday party and then you're just like, hey, what happened? I guess it was nothing anyway. Would have been really easy for Nehemiah to walk away from the from this situation at any point. He didn't know anybody anything. He had decided, I'm going to go do this. He could have gone back to his life in the palace. But, but watch this. The next thing that happens in Nehemiah's life, it goes from being an outside influence, from the enemy trying to distract him, to all of a sudden he gets tempted with something that happens for a lot of us too. And I want you to watch as Nehemiah goes from them trying to distract him to them trying to make him the distraction. Watch this. Later I went to visit Shemaiah. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. So this guy, this is the, the, the priest, the prophet who's at the temple. They've started rebuilding, and the priest comes to him and says, basically, I have this, this prophecy. I've been, I, I, I'm bringing you this, this special intelligence that you need to come into the temple and hide because the enemies, you've been, you've been ignoring them, and they're coming to kill you tonight. I'm your buddy. I got a word from God. And all of a sudden, this pretense of I'm coming to save you and I'm coming to give you something from God, come into the temple of God. This is almost like the same thing that the serpent tells Adam and he tells Eve at the tree. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from this tree? He just doesn't want you to be like him. And so he actually tempts Eve with godliness. And so the same kind of dynamic is happening here where the prophet is telling Nehemiah, hey, you're not really used to doing God's work, but why don't you come into the temple? I need you to come. We're going to shut the doors and your enemies are coming. So stop working and come hide. And sometimes 
the biggest distraction becomes our own pride, becomes our, our own selves where we say, oh, you know what? I, I am that important. I am, I do need to take time to protect myself. And so I'm going to stop working. I'm going to take a step back, take some me time. And there's a difference between taking time to refocus yourself to God and taking time to make sure that you're in the right place with God and that you're healthy so you can do the work and also stopping the work so that you can go off and pat yourself on the back. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? In other words, just because I'm someone important because I'm leading the work here doesn't mean that I should run from the danger. Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his own life? At that point, it was spiritually illegal. It was against the law of God for him to walk into the temple. But the priest is saying, why don't you come into the temple? Because they'll not expect you here. This is a safe place. Come and hide. And he says, no, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it's a pastor or a priest or someone you think is godly. When you've been prayed up and God can speak to you, you don't need someone else to speak God's word to you. If you're right where God wants you to be, you don't need someone else to come to you and tell you, hey, you need to get in God's plan. I've had plenty of people tell me, you don't need to do that. That's not God's plan for you. And I knew in my heart, God told me to be right here. But sometimes people come to us with this idea that, you know, if you really wanted to be where God wants you to be, then you need to come and help me and stop what you're doing. Your family doesn't matter. Your, your life and your dreams, the things that God has given you to do, those, those things will come later. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Zambalad had hired him. <laughs> so we had a traitor in the camp. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. They had a whole strategy. If you don't think that our enemy has a comprehensive strategy to keep you from being where God wants you to be, then you're not giving him enough credit. I, granted, there are a lot of people in this world that give the devil too much credit because they blame everything on the devil. Oh, the devil made me eat that chocolate cake. No, he didn't. You <laughs> ate the chocolate cake, and I ate the chocolate cake. You put a chocolate cake on my counter, I'm going to eat it. And it wasn't the devil, but I will tell you this. <laughs> if you go through your life thinking that everything is not the devil, there is a comprehensive strategy, especially he doesn't care if you're not doing anything for God. But the moment you take a step of faith, we talk about steps of faith every day. It might be the first step of faith that you ever take is the one at the end of the service where we give our hearts to God, where we make a statement in the, in the spirit, in, er, in the atmosphere that I'm going to live for God. Like, like Joshua said, ask for me and my house. I'm going to serve the Lord. Maybe that's you today, but I'm just warning you that the moment you, you take that stand, the enemy's got a comprehensive strategy that's going to be working on every angle to try and distract you. If he can't oppose you, he's going to hire like <laughs> Shemaiah. He's going, to hire, he's going to get a traitor to come into your camp to try and trick you. But here's the deal. When you're following God and you're dependent upon God, you can make it. 
Here we go. So Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, they, taught, they, they taunt and threaten and they try to distract and discourage and scare Nehemiah, but it doesn't stop him. And so he says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I'm doing a great work. If you notice, the very first, if you were here for week one, the very first scripture that we read, after Nehemiah goes and talks to the king, and he gets to Jerusalem, and he meets with the people and says, let's do this. He says, the good work began. He goes from saying the good work began to now he's standing with the walls finished, not accepting the distraction, not listening to the enemy, he says, I'm not coming down because this is a great work. So if he goes from this good work to now this is a great work that God is doing. There's some great work that God wants to do in you and with you. But don't be distracted. Don't be opposed. Just keep walking. Keep working. This is a picture of Nehemiah with a hammer tool in one hand, a sword in the other, that he has to not only defend, but continue to work and build. It's one thing to just always be defensive and always be protecting against whatever might come. I think the most incredible thing we can do for God is to build something that changes lives, that protects people, that is a home of safety. Every single day, there, there are people that not only just reach out online, reach out in person, Facebook and calls and texts and emails and can't believe we found this church and can't believe we found these relationships and this is, God has done so much work in our lives and what's the most incredible thing to me is the, like the space of time that it takes for God to fix things and to resolve things and to do the miraculous. Like I think I came in to relate with an expectation that it would take so long to do so much. But God is doing like so much in so little time. In, in I, I'm not going to say fixing people, but helping people to take big steps over the obstacles that they never thought they could step over. To rebuilding walls that have been broken down for years and years and years. And all of a sudden people come and say, you won't believe what God's done. I never would imagine this was possible. It's incredible. And I can tell you from my personal experience, like my own life, God, I didn't think that this was possible for you to do this in me, the work that he's done in me. I will say this, that Angela and I both just decided we're not going to back off like Nehemiah. We're going to go. They can try to stop us, but God, protect us where we can't protect ourselves. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's Rebuilding a relationship that you had hopes for, but it feels like it's broken down. Maybe it's rebuilding a family. There's something that God wants to do in you. We talked about this week one, week two. What's that thing that breaks your heart that you know God wants you to work there? You know God wants to do something there. It doesn't make sense. You don't know how it could happen. You don't, you, you, you don't have all the pieces in your head to like, God, if you could just do A, B, C, and D, that would be amazing. Because a lot of times we don't have those steps. A lot of times all we know is if I could just go that direction. Sometimes that's enough. But don't be distracted. And don't walk away from that just because it gets tough. I'm not going to back down. Like Nehemiah said, this great work 
is got to keep going and I'm not coming down to meet with you. I'm not going to back off. So in verse 14, 6 verse 14, remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done. And remember Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. And he goes on, and this is the New Living Translation. It doesn't give us the, the translated month's names. It tells us exactly where they are. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem <laughs> in 52 days. Guys, for 140 years, the walls lay destroyed with no one, everyone who walked by. It was heartbreaking to the to the people of Judah and Israel looking at the walls all of our hopes and dreams are dashed but in 52 days God shows up with a man who only knows how to drink wine and live in a palace and he rebuilds the wall in 52 days that's amazing in more than one way that's amazing the the miracle that happens there I love this miracle because it's not because an army of angels shows up and rebuilds the walls it's not because some supernatural thing happened with the pool of Bethesda or Jesus mixing mud and doing something amazing. Those are awesome miracles. But this is just because a guy who has no experience, who's not able in any other way to then to just say, okay, I'll go. Nobody else will do it. I'll do it. 52 days later, the walls are rebuilt. Sometimes we walk away from a job that God has done, like Relate, or like all the things that are happening around us, and say, I guess it wasn't that big a deal anyway. Isn't it amazing when God makes something look easy? When, when something happens so quickly and so easily that we're saying, man, did I make a big deal out of it? Was this, did I make it harder than, did I make it seem harder than it should have been? No. We were against insurmountable odds, and some of you are standing in front of insurmountable odds. But if you'll just take a step of faith, where will you be in 52 days? Fifty-two days is less than two months. <laughs> Fifty-two days. Some of you like hundred and forty years worth of destroyed walls. You've been standing around thinking something was hopeless, something's been broken down and lost, and you you haven't had hope for it. But where would you be in 52 days if you just said, okay, God, let's do this. I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to come down. I'm going to keep working. And 52, 52 days later, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, all of a sudden we take a turn with our story. Now, they're not mocking anymore. <laughs> they're not insulting anymore. They're not sending distracting letters or trying to send traitors into their midst. When they heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. God wants to help you do some things today. Last thing, write this down. The greater the, oppos the opposition against you, the greater the opportunity to God, for God to fight for you. What's that situation that you need God to show up in today? What's that situation? You'll never finish what you don't start. Something that God wants to start in you today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we sit right now 
some of us in a place where we're facing insurmountable odds, where things the, like the giant Goliath standing in front of us, intimidating us, and like Sambalat and Tobiah just insulting, and we haven't felt like there's any recourse. We just kind of take it and shrink back into our lives. Today, God, we ask that you would give us the resolution to, to step out and to not step back, to not be comfortable to just sit back in our chair and let life happen, but that we'll stand up and take a hold of the destiny that you've built in us, that you've planted in us to become the people, to become the men and the women, the fathers and the mothers, the people that you have called us to be. We are your team, your chosen people. We want to do the things that you have planned for us, that you have hoped for us, that you have dreamed for us. And so today we're willing to say yes because we know you'll walk through it with us. We're raising up our expectation of where things will be in 52 days, where things will be through the summer and through the end of this year in every one of those hopeless situations that you're breathing hope back into them, that you're breathing a life back into dead things, that you're rebuilding the hope in us for different relationships, things that we've let go, things that we may have even buried in our minds, that that's just gone. God, I thank you for bringing to life the ministry within every person here. The callings, the destiny, in Jesus' name. For some of you sitting in this room, you, you have not known what, what's the point of life. Like, I've tried it my way. I've, I've fought to do it this way. And I want you to know this, that God, God has always had life prepared for you. It's a free gift. God sent his son to die on a cross for us, to open a door that none of us could open. The thing is, we have to walk through it. It's a choice. It's an, an opportunity that God says, come home. And many of you might not know what the future may hold. If you were to die today, you don't know what that would look like. Can I say today that you can assure eternity you can confirm eternity by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and accepting that new life. You become something new. The Bible says and describes that He puts a new heart within us. He takes our old heart and gives us a new one. He, he makes us a new creation. He gives us a new life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today and you have have decided that I'm not going to go another day and not have that life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you want to be included in that prayer that we're going to pray today, would you just raise your hand and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Awesome. I'm excited for you. Anybody else? Would you all say this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Today I give you my life. I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and give me new life. Take my old life, take my old heart, and make me new. Transform me. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer. I am excited for you. I think that is 
the most amazing step of faith we can ever take is to just step in to the destiny that God has for us. The ushers are going to get into position, and I'm going to ask the band to join me on stage because.